Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Okay, so when we started this podcast, th- this is how you pitched it to me. We already have this conversation every week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are on the phone, average week, couple hours, sometimes probably more, sometimes probably, less. Yeah. yeah. How's your sermon? What do you think about this text? This is the point that I want to make. What do you think about it? Uh, we right. talk about Batman and movies and golf and cowboys mostly sermons, mostly church. A lot of weeks we talk about uh, things regarding the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. We talk about um, books, uh, how things are going in evangelicalism. Yeah. And we're I mean, we're looking at our, our, our text feed this morning is statistics about youth dropout, reports from the Southern Baptist Convention uh, back in, when was it, 20, 2018, the task, Disciple-Making Task Force reported to the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, basically, the convention is, you know, leaking people uh, like a, uh, you know, a boat with holes in it, right? We are we're losing people by generation. Uh, we've got Barna Group that's showing that um, the church is losing a generation. They're going off to college. They're not coming back. How we got into this conversation today is there's a, a, a picture going around the internet, and it's uh, been posted on my social feed. You've made multiple times. The first place I saw it was H.B. Charles. Yeah. And following H.B. Charles' post getting into the SBC, getting into discipleship, getting into who's selling what books and what task force they're serving on has just, I mean, let's just, let's get to the point here. It, it gets you to an, an angering place about where Western Christianity is. Yep. And what we think the church is, what we think the church is supposed to operate. Uh, you've used the words in the last few days, charlatan, yeah. to refer to those who kind of uh, fleece the flock for their money, yep. uh, that came yep. up in a conversation we had about uh, Derek Webb, which maybe should be another, a little bit of another uh, episode, maybe another day. Uh, former right. Christian musician now coming back, uh, selling his process of rethinking Jesus. That's another yeah. question for another day, perhaps. And prediction, prediction of where it lands is. <laughs> I don't like categories, and I don't really like all those terms that you use. But let's wait for the album. That's my prediction. They've got that a documentary exactly gonna, or an album, that's where it's something. Okay, it's called next this month. We'll see. Oh. So here's here's the. I'm already mad. I'm just. <laughs> tell you right now. Here's <laughs> the the picture that's been going around. Seventy five percent of kids left the church. From 18 to 29, so that's the statistic for the last 20 years or so, I guess. 75% yeah. of kids left the church from the, from the age 18 to 29. 75% yeah. left the church. Yeah. Why did 25% stay connected with Christ, the post says? That's the picture. Uh, so there's a switch from church to Christ. 
never mind the theology of why anyone would actually stay connected with Christ long term. The point is in the in the poster that we're seeing is there are are five things that people who stayed connected with the church did uh, in this uh, kind of uh, info picture that's going around. Number one is a picture of pizza. So those who stayed with the church, they they didn't just eat pizza. They ate dinner five of seven nights a week as a family. Uh, Number two, they served with their families in a ministry. Number three, they hold one had one spiritual experience in the home during the week. I assume that's family devotion, talking, singing, something. Number five, or number four, they are entrusted with responsibility in ministry at an early age. Depending on what that means, I'm not sure that I would agree with that. Number five, they had at least one faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. So maybe mm-hmm. had a youth pastor disciple them, another man in the church, another woman in the church, uh, discipling them, and the the idea here is, uh, I I've not been able to find this. I can't find the source for it. I can't find the the research for it. Uh, so we'll, we'll it, it's H B Charles who posted it. So we'll we'll give him his most gratuitous uh, affirmation of this. It's from KidMenScience.com, which I have never heard of, know nothing about. The point is, it's really basing why kids stay in the church it's a root it's doing a really good thing and it's rooting it in the home dinner as a family served with their family spiritual experience at home entrusted with ministry early not sure i agree with that one to a degree number five at least one faith focused adult in their lives other than their parents when they were kids so it's good it's 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 Changing the burden from fire truck baptisms, going to the movies, pizza at church, get a ton of kids here no matter what, and throw the gospel on top of it, see if it sticks. And it's saying, actually, it's the Bible. Uh, the Bible's actually calling parents uh, to do this. And lo and behold, our statistics tell us that those who tend to stay connected with the church and in the church are those who have been discipled at home. That those are now theologically, you and I have already said on this podcast episodes ago, uh, it's the sovereignty of God, it's the spirit of God that truly saves right. someone. But sticking to right. the church really is based closer to the home and what happens in the home as the main primary determiner of a child's future, rather than a church's ministry. In fact, one of the statistics that we saw from Lifeway Research suggested that a lot of these kids who are leaving the church are not leaving the church because they had bad experiences. They're not leaving the church because someone abused them. They're not leaving the church because of views on LGBTQ. They're not They're not leaving the church uh, because they're mad or because someone said something mean to them. Uh, they simply dropped out because the church seemed kind of non-essential in their lives. Yeah, They just kind of, just kind of quit going and... The statistic is saying, uh, according to LifeWay research, they just begin to replace it with other things. So we're looking at multiple reports from from that post on Facebook and Twitter and other places this week to LifeWay research saying the same thing. We have uh, the North American Mission Board that came out with a report in 2018. Uh, some pretty... Uh, a pretty dire report when it came out. Uh, 
Uh, I remember being in the room, hearing it for the first time, seeing it, came back, communicated it to our church. And while from 1997 to 2017, we baptized 7.1 million people, which we love reporting. I mean, if we baptize a cat, we're going to report it at the Southern Baptist Convention as one baptism. So that 7.1, probably... The person with scratches on themselves from head to toe. <laughs> Baptized again. The, the guy <laughs> that got knocked that off the pontoon just... <laughs> boat by his youth pastor uh, into yeah. the lake. That baptism, yep. we count it. We, yep. So the 7.1 million. But at the, at the same time, the problem is over the 20 years, our church membership and our church attendance has significantly decreased. Shocker. And so there is, uh, the task force is trying to figure out why have we baptized all these people, and oh. and yet our our attendance is decreased. So we've got this conversation that is swirling between um, church versus home. What and discipleship the solution is? You need to buy books. Well, I mean. Sorry, I'm. I'm telling you, I'm already. I'm fit to be tied right now. Sorry. So yes, you at the end, at the end of North American Mission Board report, there are books for sale. Uh, some of them by those who are involved in the process. Uh, there are free resources as well. We should say, um, so that you know you can do something for free. But we're 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 looking at a time when. Children have grown up in the faith. I think Al Mohler reported about this as well on the briefing multiple times, that uh, in Europe now we're seeing for the first time a generation of children whose parents did not go to church, and so they have never been to church. It's not like they went to church sometimes. Uh, they didn't go right. for a year, but then they found a new church. They kind of switched churches. Right. They kind of Their parents' generation did not attend church, so mm-hmm. they never— they were never ever even taken to church as a child. And we're about 10, 15 years, a generation or a half behind Europe on, on, yeah. on so many cultural things. So we're, we are absolutely—I I sent you an article this morning, Washington Post, reporting a year ago that church membership in the United States has fallen below the majority for the first time in nearly a century— Meaning that for the first time in nearly a century, uh, the majority of Americans are not a part of a synagogue, a mosque, a Muslim mosque, or a Christian church. I mean, much right. less is Christianity the not not the majority. Any of those three is not the majority. The majority of Americans are not part of either a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. So the decrease in religious experience, concern, institutional membership, there's just not a statistic out there that doesn't say it's decreasing. Right. And I think the the church in some ways is still unaware, and we're also not sure what to do yet with the coming generation. We're still we're still trying to really trying to figure it out. We're still leaning on 
assumptions that our kids are going to kind of, you know, through osmosis, kind of pick up Christianity, carry it into the next generation. And we, uh, there is a lot of nonchalant spirituality. And or or worse, the church is blaming the pastor like it's his fault. Absolutely. I mean, I, I I have seen this some at our church. I've heard heard it more at other churches. Uh, I've got a guy named, never mind, got a pastor here in town, who <laughs> uh, dear friend, smaller church church plant. Uh, they meet in a rented space, and every month for the last several months that we get together in pastors' meetings. We hear him report again. Uh, another family with a teenager, another family with a child is leaving their church. I mean, they have become members. Yeah. They are covenanted members of their church. Right. They showed up knowing this church, uh, they they meet in the Civic Center or they meet in a hotel, yeah. where, wherever. Yeah. And there's, there's 60 people in this church, maybe. Yeah. And yet they leave to go to a big church down the road, and this is their reason that they give to the pastor. They're leaving this church to go down to a bigger church down the road because they have more children's things. They have more, yeah, more youth things. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. I, I've heard that from him often uh, and, yeah. and others as well. And I think you know I've yeah. talked about this enough over the years and seen it enough in other churches that it's – and the statistics are there to say this is, this is not a couple guys – of regulative sized churches just going, oh my gosh, why is everyone going to the big church? Right. But this is this is a significant cultural generational phenomenon that um that is uh eating at the church and is one of the most uh, what we've talked about I think over the years one of the most important questions of uh, discipleship in the local church, which really becomes, is it the church's responsibility, of course, to help disciple students and help disciple children? Of course it is. Uh, but what is the parental responsibility? And where is the where is the primary biblical responsibility for where a child's faith should begin to take root in uh, in, in a fundamental manner? I think it's kind of the question that's that's being asked. So we've we've already got pretty worked up before we got on recording this morning. What else would you throw out there as either questions that we are asking, problems that you see, things that I'm that I might have missed in framing the question, framing uh, the situation that we're in right now from one generation to another? Uh, I don't know if there was anything you missed. I mean. Uh, that was a, a lot of information, so yeah. I don't know if there's anything you missed. This is how our I, phone calls have been going for the last years. I mean, so this is it, this is the truest version <laughs> of yeah, our I mean, uh, uh, what our conversations are like, I guess. Well, I think uh, we we have taught people in churches for years now that the church is the center of your discipleship. And when you say and we, you mean like Western Church, what? Yes. General SBC, not me and you. Yes. Although and we haven't been we may have been complicit. So let me go ahead and ask you how do we do that? How does where what does the church do that teaches that? Cuz I think most people well, would never I don't I don't think I've heard anyone say that is actually their conviction. Um 
Well, I, I don't know if they would say that or not, but the church became, or we taught parents that the church is the hub of your Christian experience, and we we are responsible for engaging your teenagers, your children. We're responsible for um, for making Jesus cool to them and helping them see the appeal of following Christ. And parents uh, gave their children to the church, and I was a pro- I was a product of that. Like I was uh, I was a kid who was taken to church and put in a youth ministry that had attractive resources. That had I mean I remember my youth group as a teen as a as a young teenager in middle school. Um, had we had four or five arcade games. We don't even do arcades anymore, but you know, arcade games that were free, and you just you go in there and, and before and after and maybe even during mm-hmm. uh, the youth time, you go in there and you you know you hit the button to play and and just get going and and they were all like the popular games that we had we had back then it was like you know sixteen bit you know <laughs> NES SNES and Super Nintendos and Segas and things Tetris. like that, but. Yeah. Yeah, but but you actually had like all these like games and everything, both arcade and, and like console games, and um, and then all the music that was played. Like we had a, a youth praise band, and the and the praise band would play like you know back then it was like Jars of Clay and DC Talk, and that was our we would come for kind of like a concert, and then there would be some little object lesson afterwards. It was very Bible light, and it was only maybe fifteen minutes long if that, mm-hmm. and there may or may not have been uh, some questions asked, but then there was food and things to, you know, eat and things like that. Sunday morning was very, was was not really that different, so that the youth experience was very ener- energetic and engaging and, and a lot of that, and then it was kind of a downer to go across the street back to the main building for quote unquote big church. Um, <laughs> Is this the first that, Baptist church? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't a, f- it wasn't first Baptist, but it, it was a Baptist church. It was a Southern Baptist church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a big Baptist church mm-hmm. uh, for the town. At least the town mm-hmm. was really small. Um, so like I was a product of that, that, that was, and, and what we, what the reason people probably wouldn't say that that's what they were trying to do, but that that's what we actually did is that all we really were thinking, and I say we like I was part of the leadership, I wasn't, but all the leadership was was really saying is, look, we've got to engage teenagers on their level. We've got to get the Bible down to the nuts and bolts and just the very basics to help them understand it. Um, we've got to cause the church to have such a broad appeal that these teenagers are going to want to bring their friends, and that is the way the gospel is going to spread, is that we attract them in with these little trinkets, and then we give them the gospel on the back end, and it's sort of like a bait and switch, but it's not really, but it kind of is, but it's not really because they are getting some fun stuff, and they do they do have that, but then the the switch of it is, is that the gospel kind of sneaks in underneath, and before before long, before they know it, they're a Christian. And what it told parents was, this is, this is the, you need us to be able to do this. Professionals. If you're, if, if you want your children to be Christians, this is what you're, you're going to have to do. And 
and you're going to have to give them this kind of information. You're going to have to give it to package it to them this way. That's more than what parents in the home can actually do. Mm-hmm. They can't, they can't, parents can't do that. And so it told parents, this is how a child becomes a Christian. So then it told parents implicitly, you have to give your kids over to us in order to be able to do this. And so Christians are produced through information and cultural engagement. And we told parents that. That's that's what we did. And if nothing else, we should be seeing that by 2022, this that absolutely did not work. Mm-hmm. That was a failed experiment. Mm-hmm. And yet, we have now discipled an entire nation that this is what it takes. Well, what happens when the trinkets that they're, they have access to, the trinkets that they can hold in their hand are far more engaging than anything you could ever buy or produce in a building. Mm-hmm. They have they have access to millions of games on their phone. They have access to pornography. They have mm-hmm. access to uh, communication with all of their friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have access, way more access than your building could ever provide, and we're losing them at an alarming rate because we cannot out-entertain them. And that's what we're, and that's what they're trying to do. That's all they're trying to do. And so, shocker of all shockers, they come back with this 2018 report that people our age have been screaming from the beginning, and they go, "Well, look at this. It's actually about the family just living out faith at home, reading the Bible, and praying with their kids." Turns out, it's just parents mm-hmm. being being Christians mm-hmm. in the home mm-hmm. is how you raise Christians and how you share the gospel with your teenagers. Mm -hmm. Call me shocked. But then what do they do at the very end of the report is they give a list of all these resources. Here's what you need, parents. You need to, again, trust us through the purchasing of books so that you can... It's it's hogwash. It's it's complete rubbish. And so you have people in your churches that will sit down with their pastors and, and will say, like, you know, we need all these resources. We need all these resources. No, you don't. You need to live as a Christian in front of your kids. Mm-hmm. Pray with them. Read the Bible with them. Have spiritual conversations with them. Whatever you actually have, give to them. Mm-hmm. Yes, take them to church. Make that a regular part of your life. Don't give up church for all of these like activities and things like this like you, like you tend to do. Well, church is not really that important. You're communicating to your kids. You're discipling your kids. You're teaching them what is valuable to you. But if it's not valuable to you, it's never going to be valuable to them. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's it, 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 what they've come out with in all this research is it, it's, it's, it's simple. Like... We've been saying this for years now, and they're, it's like they're just now figuring all this out, mm-hmm. what the Bible actually tells you. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, I think that's part of the frustration of it is like, this is so obvious, guys. This is not that hard. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm mad. No, you can step down from my soapbox <laughs> a little too talk. <laughs> Man, it, I mean, that's what we're both talking about before we start recording. Like, at some point, it begins to. You know, anger. You can be careful with anger, but it, it seems like such a righteous response because of how so many. And I mean, when I came into being in youth ministry, 
this was, and and really to no fault of pastors who pastored me per se, uh, while I was serving youth ministry early in my uh, beginning of my ministry experience, that's what I did naturally. That's what came natural at first was to uh, do big youth events, get you know, tried to get big crowds to events. And I remember being confused. Like we, I remember uh, I was in East Texas as a youth pastor. We did a big outdoor event with music and games and all the stuff. And I told the kids, uh, that was 19 or 20. I told them if we got 150 people to come, that I would shave my head. They could shave my head in front of everyone. And we had 153 people. So at the end of the night, uh, we, we shaved my head. And, I, you know, I, I would do it again. I, I would do that for people to hear the gospel. But we did that, and then I remember on Wednesday night following, like the week after, we get back to Wednesday night, and our, our 20, it's us and our 20 kids. They're back in the room. And I just remember realizing... We, we didn't get them. We didn't even get them four days from Saturday, from Friday yeah, or Saturday. Of course not. Right? M- much less right. for their high school career. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Um, right. And so I, I remember that being one of the first moments when I realized this this isn't gonna this isn't gonna make it stick. Can God do anything? Can God use that? Have, have we seen people truly come to Christ? Ooh, hearing the gospel in a moment like that, absolutely. But, sure, but, God can you know, use anything. But it didn't do that. So well, I'm, t- I'm telling you, man, this is such a hot-button topic for me. It's probably not wise that we do a podcast on it. But um, so we have—it seems like so so much of the church, and, and this is going to sound bad initially. I, I get that. I grant you that. So much of our church experience has been so focused on evangelism that we didn't really stop to think what we're actually winning them to and what we're winning them with. And what we're what what really the Bible would say is that their coming to is a lifetime of self-sacrifice and living for Christ. Which is not what we're trying to win them with. What we're trying to win them with is uh, fun and entertainment and not at all self-sacrifice. It's hedonism. We're trying to win them with hedonism, but win them to self-sacrifice. That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And like, and then, and and constantly the church is then engaged in this sort of, um, like like this report that comes out, you know. And the person, I won't say their name, they get up in front of the, you know, congregation of people, of pastors and ministry leaders there at the SBC, and they talk about all of this, what the task force force's findings are. And they, you know, present, this person presents all of this, and, and wouldn't you know, at the end of the report is a list of all his books as resources for you to get. This is This is what you really need in order to teach your kids the Bible is you need these books that kind of go through the Bible. And by all accounts, this guy's a good pastor and a faithful person. I don't want to say his name, but, I mean, th- those those things drive me absolutely up a wall because it seems like the SBC 
and many religious organizations for years have just become this sort of platform for you to hawk your wares. This is how you get your books published. This is how you you become a, you know, a big writer and people listen to you and you gain sort of an audience. And it's really frustrating. And and so like I had a conversation several years ago where uh, I was at another church and and uh, this this guy was a, a like kind of a leader of the state convention mm-hmm. or one of the leaders of the state convention and he came to sit down in my office and he asked me uh, when you disciple people to follow Christ what do you use what resources do you use to disciple people <laughs> and I I literally I sat there stunned for like five seconds and it, it felt like an eternity and I said the Bible. And he goes, literally without missing a beat, he goes, that's great, but I want to give you a couple of other resources that you, that you really need. Mm-hmm. And, and like that right there, that transition just like echoed in my mind mm-hmm. forever that we have convinced ourselves that what we have is really a knowledge problem. If we just gave them more information, they would logically follow Jesus. And what all these reports are are emphasizing, whether it's the infographic that you talked about from the person I don't, I've never heard of, and the you know whatever, it's that graphic is just echoing all the things that these other big research firms have right. have already said, and what we've been saying for years now is it comes back to the home with parents just living as Christians. Mm-hmm. Like that infographic that you put up, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's like, why did 25% stay connected? Well, they ate dinner five out of seven nights a week as a family. Mm-hmm. They served with their families in ministry. They had one, at least one spiritual experience in the home during the week. They entrusted, they were entrusted with responsibility in ministry at an early age. They had at least one faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. Mm-hmm. This is, these five things that it says is it's all just boiling down commonalities from a host of people that they surveyed. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all it's doing. And what you're seeing in those five is, I suspect that 100% of the people that they surveyed that that you know had these commonalities here, these five commonalities, mm-hmm. they all grew up in Christian homes with Christian parents who just lived as Christians in front of them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that their parents said, you know what? In order to produce a Christian, we've got to eat together five out of seven nights a week as a family. You know what? If mm-hmm. we want our kids to be a Christian, then they we're, we're going to have to get them involved in church, and they mm-hmm. need to get involved in me. No, their parents were just Christians. Mm-hmm. They actually loved Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they just said, what we do as a family is we go to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. We, we, we serve with the church, and we, we serve people around us, and and... And we have we have conversations with you about Jesus because we love Jesus and we, we want you to know who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. That's the reason their kids are Christians. It's not because they they had this parenting strategy that that said you know we're, these are the five things we're going to do and then lo and behold well look at that we produced a Christian. They they were just Christians mm-hmm. and they did what Christians do mm-hmm. and they lived as Christians and then lo and behold their kids were actually attracted to that. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, the attraction to Christianity is the truth of the gospel. It's not an arcade game. Mm-hmm. And it's so frustrating that like it takes these big surveys and these big reports and these millions of dollars to figure all this stuff out. The Bible's actually been telling us from 
day one. And yet what we've been doing is writing books and reading books instead of actually just opening the word and letting it teach us. Mm -hmm. And it would say all of these things. Yeah. But it's like we're so apathetic to the word. We need somebody else to reinforce what it's saying and to tell it to us in different words. Mm -hmm. Just open your Bibles and read it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's for crying out loud. It's simple. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying any of that is like a 100% sure thing. Your kid's going to be a Christian. You you don't have the power to make your kid a Christian. You know, it, I mean, you don't. Mm-hmm. You you pray, you trust the Lord, but the Lord has told us in his word that he uses the exhortation and the teaching of the word to produce Christians. Mm-hmm. That's how he does it. That's the mechanism that he uses to bring faith to someone is the presentation of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so parents live the gospel and present it to them and pray, pray, pray for your children. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's, you don't need a task force to tell you that. And you don't need a book to -hmm. tell you that. Just open the Bible and read it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a serious test. Oh, it's a serious test. (laughs) For you, uh, as a parent, when if you can get excited about task force reports or about you know what is our youth ministry going to do for us, what is the church going to do for even even if the youth ministry that you have in your mind and the the church ministry for your family has some really good Christian things in it, right? Some really helpful things, but you just won't do it at home. You, you, you just don't like you and and, and here here's there's probably I would say this is a pretty frequent connection. If you feel like you are unwilling and unable to open the Bible with your children, that's probably because you are not opening the Bible yourself. Right. I mean, if you open your Bible and have a devotion in the morning for five minutes <clears throat> and it is it is somewhat helpful to you personally. If you if you go to your uh, education hour at church on Sunday, and it is there's something in it that's helpful. A sermon is helpful to you uh, personally. Uh, you recognize it as God's word, which is, is which is at work, and you who believe, like Paul says, uh, it's not hard. It really isn't hard to just open it and read it and say, "It seems like the main thing Jesus is saying is this." Let's pray before we go to bed. It's not. It right. really isn't that difficult. So a wonderful test and, and, of, of where and you know I what? am in all this, as as a parent, and what we're asking of parents as as pastors or of churches, is: Will you open the Bible in your house with your kids of any age, despite yes. how they feel about it? Will you do that? Yes. And if not, and, and then you know what? There's what does that say about what you what you think, what we think. Uh, d- discipleship is in the home, what it means to be a parent, training up and developing children's hearts toward the Lord. And parent, you're going to be wrong sometimes. You're going to read a passage in Scripture, and you're going to say, I think this is what it's saying, and you're going to be wrong. And you're going to read it, and you're going to go, man, I am not at good as good at understanding the history, the context, the theology as my pastor is. Yes, 
you're going to be wrong in some of those things. And he's wrong too in some things. Mm -hmm. And every scholar that's ever opened the Bible that has extensive knowledge of Greek and Hebrew, they disagree. Why? Because at least one of them is wrong about some things. Mm -hmm. And, and, And sometimes I think too, parents, just to give them a little bit of credit, they're, they're looking at the Bible and they're going, man, I, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to teach my kid wrongly about the word. Every person that has ever been discipled, except for those 12 apostles, were taught by somebody who was wrong on something. Mm-hmm. And they were taught erroneously. I, I was taught by a man, I was discipled by a guy who was 66 years older than me. Mm-hmm. He was a man who'd had no more than an eighth grade education. He, uh, Christ got a hold of him at a, at a, I guess as a teenager or something. Uh, he was taught by a guy. He was discipled by a guy in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. He left school after eighth grade and helped his family on the farm and uh, basically devoted himself to the reading of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Just, to, just understanding the Bible, mm-hmm. read from the King James, learned the King James, knew the King James like the back of his hand, recommended the King James, excoriated all the other translations of the scriptures because only the King James would suffice. Taught from the King James, led a Bible study in his home. Some some years, led it five times a week. Taught Sunday school. Was a faithful member of his church, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm now almost 40 years old and I'm still applying some of the things that he taught me. And yet we disagree on things. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's dead. He's been dead for several years now. He's been dead for a decade now, but we disagree on many things. And I would love to be able to sit down and just talk about those things and hash them out. But he discipled me and I learned from him and I grew not because of all the information that he gave me, the imp- it wasn't informational. It was transformational. Mm-hmm. What he was talking about is a lifetime of following the Lord and reading the Bible for yourself and, and learning how to read it and devoting yourself to understanding it and growing in the Word of God. And, and somehow we've told parents that it's different than that, mm-hmm. that that's not what it is, that it is informational. You just need the right information. You need to get those the information to them, and then you need to pass this on to your kids. And if you can't give them the right information, well, they're just going to be damned for the rest of their lives. And that's not true. It, it's, it's a pattern of life that you're living in front of them and a life devoted to the Word. And it's humbly coming to them with the Word in your hand and going, like, I don't understand it all, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to understand it. And I think the truth is here in it. And you're communicating that to them. Mm-hmm. And and you're not going to mess up your kid by opening the word in front of them and humbly living as a Christian in front of them. Mm-hmm. You're not. Yeah. You're going to present to them a compelling argument for following Christ. And even if you're even if you you have little sense of the Bible yourself. You know, mm-hmm. and, I, and, and, and I think that there is great value to teachers. There's great value to your pastor opening the word in front of you and, and, and helping you understand how to interpret it. There's great value in Bible studies and all those things that our churches can provide. There's great value in those things, and you should submit yourself to them. But, but your kids need to see that 
the word is so important to you mm-hmm. that not only do you try to teach it to me and try to give it to me and try to read it to me, but you also try to learn it for yourself. You don't see yourself as the authority on it. And and chances are your pastor doesn't see himself as the authority on it either. Mm-hmm. You, your pastor submits to other teachers and listens to what they have to say on the word too, mm-hmm. because there's value in that. So it, it's, a, it's a, as parents, we have to get this, this through our heads that we have to be transformed by the word first mm-hmm. or, or it's who cares what we tell our kids yeah. if, if we're not transformed by it. You know, here, and, and it's funny that it, as you talk about, as you read the Bible, things keep coming back to really simple instruction. Like if you're going to like, what do we do? What do we do with all this? What do we do with the church being the minority and the synagogues and mosques being the minority and Gnosticism or atheism being the majority? What do we do with 7.1 million people baptized from for the last 20 years in the SBC, and yet our attendance is you know rapidly declining? What do we do with all these things? Here's something really interesting about the task force recommendation that we mentioned, chaired by a guy named Robbie Gallaty, a lot of other pastors, denominational leaders on this committee. So in 2016 is when this committee was uh, tasked to figure out Uh, examine the state of Southern Baptist churches in regard to discipleship in our local churches, and then give a report with recommendations to increase our Great Commission focus. So the Southern Baptist Convention put together a task force to examine the state of Southern Baptist churches in regard to discipleship in our local churches. I mean, just uh, to me, maybe I'm just missing what's going on here. I, I could be missing some context. But I'm like, just the fact that we need to have a task force in the Southern Baptist Convention, to go research for years, years, the state of discipleship in our local churches, and then give a report on recommendations to how to respond to that. They actually, in their report, they actually say they were going to give a report in 2017, but they actually needed an extra year to, to work through all of this. So they come back and they have three recommendations, okay? And I and I, I I agree with these recommendations. I don't think they're bad, but I think it's telling just how how deep the the problem with simple things is. Their first recommendation: every Southern Baptist church should increase their efforts toward Bible engagement from their members. That's the first. <laughs> That's the first recommendation. Every Southern Baptist church should increase their efforts toward Bible engagement from their members. Okay. Cool off, man. Hang in there. Okay. Recommendation two. Every Southern Baptist church should consider gauging the effectiveness of their disciple-making efforts by examining the connection between decisions, people coming to Christ, being baptized, uh, walking aisle, whatever, they should examine the connection between decisions and group involvement, is their phrase. Assessing the number of people who have moved from baptism into groups ministry, Sunday school, life groups, discipleship groups, etc., in the church annually. Recommendation three, examine, 
Consider gauging the effectiveness of your discipleship-making efforts by examining the numbers of groups that multiply on a consistent basis. I don't think anyone can disagree with, with these on, on, on face value. But just, just think about just think about how, how far we must be if the first recommendation of a two-year task force considering discipleship, the first thing that we feel like we need to say is increase Bible, Bible reading. engagement. It's crazy. <laughs> and the second I mean, one <laughs> is basically church membership. A- assess the number of people who have made decisions and, and are involved in the church. That's church membership. They become a <laughs> member of your church. You know where they are. You know what they're doing. You know if they're involved or not. You pastor them. You care for them. It... It, is is that is that not church membership in your mind? Like just yeah, yeah. fundamentally, yeah. that's exactly what it is. But they don't yeah. do that. They call it group involvement. Um, they refer to Sunday school, life groups, discipleship groups, so that you you could actually, in in this task force report, there's nothing about church membership. You could go to Sunday school. You could go to life groups. You could go to discipleship groups, and you could be involved, and you could be counted as good but not actually be taught church membership at all, potentially, right? And if that's an unfair assessment of the task force intentions, then forgive me, I would love to be corrected, but there's nothing about that here at all. I don't see it anywhere. So again, it's like it comes down to really fundamental things. The task force is even telling us, you guys, we got it, the people who get baptized— we got to get them to read their Bible. Took you two years to do a task force on that? That's, that's the report. That's the, re- that's the recommendation. I don't disagree. I, I, no. But that's, that's the, it's that's not the a, frustrating it, when it came part out, about It's it. almost like it's like, guys, we've been thinking about it. Okay. We've been doing meetings. We took an extra year. Uh, from, aside from the plan task force, took an extra year. We've been praying together. We've been flying around the country to get together to meet, <laughs> and we got an idea. Yeah. I'm just it, y'all listen, read <laughs> the Bible together as a church. Let's just eighty by twenty. Let's get eighty percent of the church. You know, right now the Bible engagement is at twenty forty percent. We want to get this is the goal. This is the goal of the task force. That's this is the whole eighty by twenty website which I think is gone now. I can find it. The goal is 80% of the church regularly engaged in the Bible. 80, that, that's the goal, 80%. I, I, I kind of wonder, I, just, I would love to just take somebody like, I don't know, John Owen, just straight from his grave, kind of just... Just like, and just get, sit him down. Twenty twenty two. He's got no idea where he's at. Just watch like, him read hey, the task a, force report. You're in America. I want to give you this task force report. This is what our where our churches are at. What we've discovered after a year of just a couple of years two of years. just research, two years of research. Uh, this is what we've decided we need to be about as churches in order to stem the tide of people leaving leaving the church. Mm-hmm. And, and recommendation number one is that 
people read their Bibles. Recommendation number two is that they actually get involved in the local church. And it, and they really don't even talk about membership, but, but we would say through membership. I think he would break down in tears as to where like the church has has to what the what where the church has gone mm-hmm. like how, where how far are you afield that this has become the correction mm-hmm. you know i mean that that now you you have to tell people hey yeah you know what and and it's a stunning admission i think it's a stunning admission this is the correction the correction is read your bible mm-hmm so then what were you recommending before this? Mm-hmm. Was to not read the Bible? Basically, yeah. Yeah. That's what they're they're implicitly admitting is that the recommendation on the part of all the churches has been everything but reading the Bible mm-hmm. and studying it and giving yourself to faithful teaching of it. Mm-hmm. It's been everything but church membership. Mm-hmm. It's been... I don't know, whimsical fairy tales or something. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Clever sermon titles and and catchy sermon series that have that are Bible light, the youth lessons that are Bible light and heavy on entertainment. They're children's ministries where you got a slide going into the ba- fire truck baptistry where the lights go, you know, mm-hmm. go off when you slide in. I mean, like it's all of these things, mm-hmm. and, and they're implicitly they, they acknowledging. That, yeah, we've been about that, and we actually probably should just go back to, I don't know, reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then, but, then, but then we've taught people for so long that it's about all the other stuff that now the pastors who want to go and just teach the Bible are going to lose people left and right mm-hmm. because they don't have the resources. You're not giving me the resources. You're not giving me the slide and the baptistry. You're not giving me all of these things mm-hmm. that I could get elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so then... Pastors are stuck. What do you do? Yeah. Do you lose a lot of your members and, and just teach the Bible? Yeah. Jesus would say yes. Yeah. It's interesting that in the in in this uh, name report uh, that we're talking about, um, it, I remember being there and kind of rejoicing in a sense, you know, utterly sad, but also kind of rejoicing that we're coming. We can come back to something. Sounds like we're going mm-hmm. somewhere good. But then there are sentences like this that still remain, even in 2018 when this comes out, the, where they say the disciple-making task force has determined that our goal is not to offer a one-size-fits-all ministry process that every church should implement. However, we can look at Jesus' model for making disciples as we assess our churches and determine what is best for our context. Rather than providing a method, we wanted to provide a model that can be adapted I mean, how TED Talk can you get? Like, to, to me, that even in itself is kind of like, we don't want to just take what Jesus said and apply it. We want to use it to assess our churches and our context. And benefit of the doubt, I right, they're trying to talk to 50,000 churches. They're trying to, you know, they have a big umbrella. Um, but Jesus' ministry, I, I think it's kind of one size fits all. I really think it is kind of pretty simple. Like, how can more Bible engagement... Not be, just just do that and really don't do much else. And I, I, I think I'm concerned today as a pastor from the Southern Baptist Convention and for our, our church 
locally for the Western Church. So, you know, you mentioned the fire truck baptisms. I think we might have brought this up on the podcast before. Uh, yeah. Fire truck baptism, the same pastor that was uh, baptizing kids in fire trucks and therefore leading the convention in baptisms uh, was recently elected as the executive director of the Southern Baptist Convention decades later. Yep. Yep. And one of the the big vision keys for the Southern Baptist Convention under his first year as executive director was to um, uh, dis- you know reach, disciple, and baptize kids under the age of or individuals under the age of eighteen. That's one of the vision points for the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, who can disagree with that, right? Who can disagree with we need to really disciple and focus on those kids uh, who are you know under 18 before they go to college, right? They're clearly reading the same statistics, right? Uh, we we got to get them before they go off to school. The statistics drop off. Uh, kids you know, move away from home. They leave the church. So we really got to turn around, is the word, the ongoing decline in the SBC by reaching, baptizing, and discipling those under the age of 18. But it doesn't... There's uh, the, there's a question, and I think you and I both hold what we hope to be a healthy, godly cynicism, that what you mean by reaching, baptizing, baptizing, and discipling is uh, is still what got us in this mess in the first place. There's more of the same. And it's not parents, open the Bible with your kids at home. We don't need programs. We don't need any other material. We don't. We don't. We just. We don't. We don't need to be real. We don't have to spend a lot of money, right? How much does a Bible cost, right? Yeah. The, the costlier Sometimes things. You can get them free. Are your you can get them free. Your costlier things are your life. That's the cost of discipleship, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's it's this shocking reality to parents. Mm-hmm. Your calendar tells your kid more about Jesus than that fancy student ministry building. Mm-hmm. You the how you organize your life around the gospel tells more to your kid about what you believe about Jesus than the bells and whistles in a church building. Mm-hmm. Your kid is going to understand what you're communicating about Jesus by the way you live your life and the things then that you tell them. Mm-hmm. So if every Sunday, if Sunday after Sunday, there is important thing that comes up after important thing that all takes precedence over going to church together as a family, your kid understands then the importance of church. Mm-hmm. And think about this, if, too. Think, think about this narrative. Uh, your 14-year-old comes home from youth group on Wednesday night, right? I mean, th- this is youth pastors are, have been dealing with my entire ministry. I've seen this. I've experienced this. I've heard this from my own children. Um, you know, Dad, what, you know, at the youth group, what do we do? We do some Bible study. We do some singing. Maybe we play a few games before, but after a while, maybe they're the same games every week. Yeah. Um, 
And we can't play Chubby Bunny anymore. They took that away from us. So yeah, that's a liability Insurance now. companies. So yeah, it's a liability. You can, you so can only afford to we order... We got no more good games. Yeah. You can only afford to order pizza so much before... It's, the, the, the question becomes, when, when your own kids are reporting these things to you about your church's youth group, like, like I have heard from mine, that this is what we're doing. We really have a moment to decide with our kids to go, you know what? That is so frustrating that the church doesn't make it more fun for my kids, that they don't do more or different or whatever, so, that, so that it's more attractive to my children, right? What are we going to do to make my kid never say that again? And instead, I, myself, as my children's parent, I'm very, very glad that that's their dilemma because I get to then teach them, well, sweetheart, that's why we go. That's why I go to church on Sunday. That's why we gather with the church. That's what it means to be a Christian, to open the Bible, to apply it, to believe the gospel of Christ crucified, and to live after him with our lives, to get Christ dwelling in our hearts, and then to live him out of our hearts, son. That's what we're here to do. So it's when you hear that from your kid, you can rejoice that they're actually, hopefully, more likely being confronted with the truth of God's Word and God's Word itself, and a question about real discipleship, rather than uh, trying to try to sneak it in behind uh, entertainment or, or or something like that. Um, that's a that moment's going to come, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's extremely well, telling. And, and what you what you ultimately we have to get to, I think, too, as parents, is to understand that our kids aren't but default Christians; that they're born wicked mm-hmm. they're born with hardened hearts yeah, they need training and development and, yep yeah they need training they need salvation they need to be potty trained like they crying out loud yeah yeah but they also need salvation and your kid may have it they may have they may have professed faith in christ they may believe in jesus but that doesn't that is not a guarantee of immediate maturity in christ so even if they are Christians, they love the Lord, they love Jesus, but when they go to youth, they're like, man, I would much rather it be more engaging or more entertaining or more compelling for me to go. That's the sign of immaturity, not maturity. Mm-hmm. And that's our job as Christians and as parents to say, I understand why you feel that way. And maybe not tell them this, but mm-hmm. understand this in our in our own minds. But it's because you're immature that you're expressing those opinions. Mm-hmm. And I want you to grow in maturity. Well, guess what? Growth in maturity in Christ doesn't come through video games. Mm-hmm. It comes through the regular reading and understanding and teaching of the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's Bible engagement. Mm-hmm. It's faithful church membership. It's regular practice of dying to self. Mm-hmm. It's understanding what it means to follow Christ. That is how maturity is produced. It's con- confrontation of over sin. It's repentance of sin. Maturity comes to an individual, but normally it's not going to be from your 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. Even if they came to Christ at 8 your 13-year-old is not going to be mature in Christ, and they're going to tell you they don't want to go because it's boring. Mm-hmm. 
But that is your time as a parent to say, I understand that you're bored by it, but it's because you're immature in Christ. Mm -hmm. You need to grow in what it means to understand who Christ is. Yeah. And over time, you the, mat the maturity blossoms to the point where they love it. Mm -hmm. And when you hear, but, but yeah. they have to really come to grips with those things first, right? And when you hear things like, um, when you hear things like that from a child, or if you're thinking those things yourself, we we have to think back about the 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 place that God has put children to have their shape their their hearts shaped the most, and it's the home. And we haven't even got into statistics on uh, and divorce and. Uh, th those kinds of effects and other issues in the home, but just thinking, just thinking the in some main genres through Scripture, you've got the law, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Just think about the instruction there. Is it may is it all body heavy in terms of the whole congregation, or is it parent heavy? Well, right on the Shema in Deuteronomy six, you have the, the parents being instructed to disciple their children. The book of Proverbs, for example, in, in wisdom literature, right? So representative of a whole genre. You, you have a, the first nine chapters are a father's conversation with his sons about wisdom. In the New Testament, you look in the epistles, you find, you find Paul talking to parents saying, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So we just look through the Bible at some main genres and areas of Scripture, right? We've got, we've got the biblical authority to disciple our children at home, the biblical responsibility to tell the coming generation at home. So that when I hear my kids say things about youth group and how it's not fun, blah, 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 and they don't have games, and blah, 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 that doesn't, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't, that doesn't bother me whatsoever, Right? It, in fact, it should lead you to praise the Lord because for the last 50 years we've been entertaining him in youth ministry, and it hasn't worked. Yeah. So you should at least be be able to go, praise the Lord. Maybe they're opening the Bible up there mm -hmm. and, and giving that to my kid instead. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, sorry. And the church's responsibility is, in Ephesians uh, 4, for the church's responsibility is to disciple people to help disciple other people. For the saints to do the work of the mm -hmm. ministry, I think that would include parenting on some level. Yeah. The church's responsibility is to help parents disciple their kids, um, and w whether that's through a building block on Sunday morning or through exampling it yourself in your own home, having people over to your house so they can see how you do family devotion. There's all kinds of ways that we can help teach that and pass that on. But any parent who's listening, and this is, you know, I say this on, on Sunday, this this tends to come up when we do parenting classes here at church. There's just there's just nothing that can replace just uh, the family opening the Bible together and letting it be an authority in your life, right. letting God's Word. Because what you do is actually, you don't even actually take up the authority, you actually get out of the way. Open up the right. Bible, let the Bible talk, ask questions, and then let the Bible answer those questions. And like you said earlier, if you don't know, you don't know. I mean, good grief, the number of times my kids have asked me questions, and I'm like, I don't even know, and I'm so tired right now, I don't, I don't know that if I were, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer, I have no idea. Or here, here's my best answer. If you're still curious tomorrow, which more than likely you'll forget and have a new question tomorrow, uh, we'll we'll talk about it tomorrow. But I got I got nothing. <laughs> Jesus yeah. loves you, sweetheart. Yeah. Jesus died on the cross for you. Let's go to bed. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah. And so it's 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 okay. So. Yeah. But but two, you know, your kids ask you those complex questions, and it's not as though you're doing this alone. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ask your pastor. How would you answer this question? My kid asked me this question. How would mm-hmm. how would you answer yeah. it? Ask another wise, mature believer yeah. next to you in church. Don't Google it. My kid asked me this question. How would you How would you answer that? Yeah, don't go to Google. Good grief. You're, you know what you're going to find from Google? My word. If you can't answer the question your kid is asking you, the chance you're going to be able to filter out all the terrible information out there on the Internet is slim to none. Go to somebody in your church that's mature, that's that's wise, that's loving, and and just and ask them how would you answer this question help me answer this question ask your pastor ask a number of different christians in your church how would you answer this question and and see how they would answer it and then maybe go to your kid with that or take your kid with you mm-hmm. as you ask those questions mm-hmm. there's one thing that we did with with um, at at work mm-hmm. and, and I know we got to wrap this mm-hmm. up but um when I, I used to work for Apple, one of the things that we we used to do regularly and encourage regularly was a was a was a really good practice. Is when someone would ask a question, a customer would ask a question, we would say to the customer, if we didn't know the answer, I don't know. Let's find out. Mm-hmm. And and it told them the customers that it was okay to ask questions mm-hmm. and that I don't have all the answers. And it's a great mm-hmm. tool for parents to even use in discipling their kids. Mm-hmm. They ask a question that's really hard to understand and, and really hard to answer. And you go, and you may, maybe you don't know the answer to it. And you say, I don't know. Let's find out. And you take your kid along with you as you go talk to your pastor, as you go talk to some great member of your church, you know, that's just fantastic and grounded in the word, maybe older and more mature. And you say, you know, she asked me this question the other night, and I don't really know how to answer that. How would you answer it? And let them answer it. Maybe you send them a text the night before to give them a, a heads up that you're coming yeah. with, with what question. But the point is you, you teach your kid that, like, there's a body of believers around you. That that also is are, are they're also struggling to understand a lot of these mm-hmm. things and are trying to apply the word as best they can and 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 you don't have all the answers they don't have all the answers but together you can help each other grow mm-hmm. and you at least reinforce that same message at, at home to your kid mm-hmm. no one's expecting you to have all the answers mm-hmm. but open up the Bible read it and just faithfully live it out in front of them yeah. that's the heartbeat of Christianity that's the heartbeat of discipleship yep. I think. Here's the word, Psalm 78, verse 2 through 4. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, which is, I think, a reference to the failure of Israel in the old times and how God responded. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, the wonders that he has done. We heard them from our fathers. We will not hide them from our children. Help us make it be so. That's it. That's it. See you next week. Welcome to the Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode.